0: Anything seem especially relevant? Of course, we're running out of time and we need to really rush to get through the afternoon. But if you have something you'd like to share briefly with the group about your conversation about time and rushing, anything seem especially useful? We'll have another, oh, go ahead please. Um, I was sharing that with me, um, I don't feel it's time that I don't have enough of as much as you say i enough as I'm getting older. But then I can get down on myself for, oh, it's because you don't use your time wisely and you don't exercise enough and you don't eat diet and da 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 So I'm not sure if it's a time problem or an energy problem. We yeah, probably both. Yeah. But, but what it is for sure is uh, a question of how the mind relates to the inevitable limitations of life. So and even young people you know have limitations. So it's not just people who are older. So that's really the question like well, just, it's just interesting how the mind can justify getting tight, you know being impatient, uh, whether it's lack of time or lack of energy. Thanks, Marsha. Is it Marsha? Mm-hmm. Thanks, Marcia. Anything else come up in your conversation, Ms. Yeah, Liz? Well, from this morning, but I'm just reflecting that you know, I'm not—I don't sleep particularly well, so I'm, if I haven't had enough rest, I'm more—you know—I I'm giving impatient more easily and more frequently. But it just kind of relates to Marcia saying that you know, we take good care of ourselves, so we're able to get our needs met physically. Yeah. Part of it is just the, uh, it's like having insight into what's going on in the mind requires that relative comfort and safety and stability. But what's interesting is, do we become dependent on needing enough sleep or being younger or being organized? Because what we'd like to do is have sufficient insight that even when we're not behaving, we're staying up late or whatever, that even then uh, that we can relate with patients. But the initial like understanding that this attitude is available and functional, I think it really does require uh, being stable and whatever supports that stabil- stability, like getting enough sleep or whatever else. Yeah, DJ, and then we'll go on. Well, so I just want to say, I, early this August, or, so I got up here at nine, and only I got here at nine, and I just, went up, God, this feels really nice. <laughs> 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 I just to then the time, so I had to close, year down, rather than waiting for the last minute to get there. And I thought, this is a good thought. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Of course, we try things like setting our clocks you know, back or something, or forward, I guess, to kind of get us there early. But it would be nice if the mind learned that lesson. You know, there's that story many of you heard about. I think it may go all the way back to the Buddha, but it's just in the Buddhist tradition about a charioteer and a horse and what kind of horse it is. Does a horse need to be beaten in order to learn its lesson? Or can the charioteer just sort of snap the whip above the horse Or even make just a little cooking sound with his mouth to make the horse do what it wants. You know, and just ask a question like, what kind of horse are we? Do we need to be beaten by life? Like always being late for 20 years before we realize, hey, I could just leave a little early? Or, you know, (laughs) why didn't I think of that? (laughs) I want to begin the afternoon with this poem by Pat Schneider that was given to me by Linda Breitkamp. Some of you know Linda. It's called The Patience of Ordinary Things. It's a kind of love, is it not? How the cup holds the tea, how the chair stands sturdy and four square, how the floor receives the bottoms of shoes or toes, how how soles of the feet know where they're supposed to be. I've been thinking about The Patience of Ordinary Things, how clothes wait respectfully in closets. And soap dries quietly in the dish. And towels drink the wet from the skin of the back. And the lovely repetition of stairs. And what is more generous than a window? So there's something about this work and also a sense of vastness. Like even something as simple as a meditation and bringing the attention back to the body, back to the breath, You know, if we really expect this just returning to the breath to sort of be the thing that makes her life right, we're going to be disappointed so much. We have to do that work of coming back to the present moment or to the breath with that really vast view that the poem, uh, I think, paints a bit. There's another quote. I don't know this person, Elton Trueblood. Anybody know Elton Trueblood? Anyway, uh, a man has made at least a start on discovering the meaning of human life when he plants a shade tree under which he knows full well he will never sit. Isn't that nice? How that, just the image of that also, just gives us a sense of like doing the work, not for some immediate, like, I'm going to get paid back by doing this, but because it's good work to do. I know. Susan, I think, is here. But the garden team, we were trying to decide what tree to put out uh, for Renee Howard, who died a couple years. We planted a tree for her and her memory, rather. And we were deciding, you know, what kind of tree to put. We want a fast growing tree. We were thinking, oh, you know, Buddhist meditation center. Maybe we should do something like, you know, a native Bodhi tree for the upper Midwest. So, what would be a Bodhi tree? You know, Bodhi tree is the tree that the Buddha. Back then, for the monks and nuns and other ascetics, uh, big trees out in the the jungles or forests—they were sort of the, when there weren't huts, that was like the shelter to be under a big tree. So we thought, well, what would be the big tree? And then we thought, you know, one of those native oaks, you know. But then you read about how long it takes for one of those oak trees to grow up, and it's that same sort of feeling, like. You know, most of us aren't going to really enjoy the shade of that oak tree, you know, because it's probably, you know, 20 years it will be bigger, but it, it won't be a big tree in 20 years. You know, it will be sort of growing, but not a... Not, you wouldn't call it like, oh, this is a mature tree. So 40 years, 50 years, you know, not really a tree tree, a Bodhi tree, for 100 years before people will come into the parking lot and go, oh... That's a bodhi tree. That's a tree you can sit under, <laughs> you know, and get some shelter under. So it's just this attitude, and I notice this, you know, this lack of a vast attitude. I see all the different ways it manifests in my life. You know, we have a house, the place where the old center was, meditation center, in a backyard, and just notice how difficult it is for me to get started on any projects there because there's always this attitude like well if it's not going to get done right away why do it? you know that feeling? it's like we it's almost like we demand the satisfaction of it being done in order to do the work of life and just imagine if every human being had had that attitude you know so I think uh, just as a beginning, you know, I'll talk a little bit, share some ideas, and then we'll open it up and have another small group uh, gathering as well. As we, this afternoon, look at the work of patients, or the work of practice more generally, but specifically the work of patients, and just how important the attitude we bring to it is. But to really understand, to be able to do the work, we need a particular kind of view. If we have this idea that the work we do in spiritual life, the work we do to be patient is going to give us, sort of satisfy us on an ego level, then we're going to be disappointed and, and we'll give up. And this is important to realize because the Buddha made such a deal out of effort. He talked about effort as probably as much as he talked about almost anything in his 45 years of teaching. And most of you know, or many of you know, that his last statement to his students right before he died was something, okay, I haven't had it here. I'll have get it, at least the translation of it just right, transient are all formations. Strive zealously. Now, that word zealously, akamata, is the Pali word. It gets translated in different ways, but this is a particular translation. Transient are all formations strive zealously. So things change. We don't know how it's going to unfold. So, with the time you have, with the fortunate, favorable circumstances that you have, make good use of them. Don't put off now what you think you can do later don't put off our, our learning now that we can have now and then another time another well known quote from the Buddha because he made, like I said, he made a big deal about this teaching on apamata, sometimes translated as zeal but also earnestness diligence heedfulness, mindfulness sometimes translated as. And so another teaching, another paragraph from the Buddhist teachings, just as all the the footprints of living beings are surpassed by the footprint of an elephant, and the footprint of an elephant is considered as the mightiest among them, just so have all the meritorious qualities zeal as their foundation. And zeal is considered the mightiest of these qualities. Or heatfulness, or I think the best definition for me is like the ability when we, when this mind, this heart, recognizes that something actually is gold, that is good, is wholesome, that I'll do something about it. That's really what zeal means, or heatfulness means, not being negligent, not thinking, yeah, there's something good to do, but I'll get to it later. And it's not like just once, but like it's it's really carrying with us through our life. I know that sounds sort of heavy, but maybe remembering with through our life our deepest aspiration and our and applying ourselves to our deepest aspiration all the time. And to do this it's like a very narrow path because it's so easy, even when you you know, try hard to use the right language, like remembering our deepest aspiration so we can uh, so we can sort of apply ourselves in this moment or take the next step in this moment. It can feel heavy. And then when things feel heavy, we feel like we want a break. and you know, we deserve a break. It's been heavy. So then we want you know entertainment or and I'm not saying entertainment's wrong, I'm just that attitude of like wanting to disappear, wanting not to have to be awake. Not wanting to be responsible, wanting, like I mentioned early, earlier, this idea that the path, spiritual life, is just about trusting things as they are, and in some ways that's really true. But there's also this un- unavoidable part of training the mind, because, on our, on sort of the, given the primary conditioning of our mind, we want to be saved. You know, we want the nice house that's going to save us or the bank account that's going to save us. Or we've got this very well-thought-out strategy or attitude about life, about what's important, and that's going to save us. Or our good friends are going to save us. Or I finally found a a spiritual tradition or a teacher that I trust, and that's going to save me. Or I finally got myself into shape, and I'm eating good food. That will save me. So we want some sort of static thing. save us. And now we've got it in the bank, and now I can relax. That's what you really want to do. (laughs) Relax in the sense of like not having to show up, not having to do what's next. And so I think this is the interesting thing about patience, and it's why it's a good word for the work of practice, because it connotes both a sense of relaxation, but it also connotes a sense of work our efforts. And that's, I think, important because there really is this assertive part of spiritual life where we're applying the mind. We're not just drifting or just allowing things to happen because we understand, you know, the force of our conditioning and what that's likely to lead to. is from Joe Beck, <laughs> one of my favorite quotes from her. She's a wonderful teacher who died evidently just a month ago or so. Great uh, uh, matriarch of American Buddhist practice in the Zen tradition. Uh, she had a place just outside of San Diego. And she said, I don't think that we ever let go of anything. I think, we, I think what we do is just wear things out. <laughs> and now again, you can misinterpret that And uh, and sort of make it really heavy. But there is part of practice, you know, like part of what patience does is it just sees, you know, in any given moment, we just see so many intentions, like the intention not to want to have to deal with it. I don't want to deal with that mess. I'm just not going to, somebody else left that trash on the floor. I'm not going to deal with it. Or, you know, I'm just too out of shape to get back in shape. Or, You know, my mind's just too restless to try to come back to the present moment. You know, why bother? It's just going to wander again. So, but wearing things out is just doing what we can do. Basically, it's not giving up. In each moment, we practice not giving up. So how we, it's not about thinking we're going to solve everything with one brilliant move with our mind or whatever and then boom be done. But we just do what we can do. And if we can't do anything, we can still be we can still be compassionate for, you know, being stuck or not being able to having the feeling we can't do anything. So this is the thing about patience. It sort of gives us work to do no matter the condition. We can be patient. We can show up we can understand it's like this, and in a way, we're not, what, what feeds the, you know, the unwholesome conditioning of the mind, which generally revolves around being deluded, being identified and attached with the conditions of our lives. What drives that is the giving up. It's exactly not thinking we have to do anything in our experience that. Allows the mind to just get identified with whatever you know. Remember, I said there's sensitivity, and there's conditioning. There there are opinions about the sensitivity that's happening in the moment, and that's either skillful or unskillful if we get identified and act it out. So if we don't think there's anything to do, we have a sense experience. It triggers conditioning. There's identification with the conditioning, and we act on that attachment. You know. And it just continues. But if we remember to practice, remember that there's some, there's a way, there's a, a training of showing up, then we're going to be recognizing the way that we're relating has consequences. Oh, this is, has a negative consequence. This has a positive consequence. We're really taking life as a teacher, taking each moment as a teacher, or not. And really, that's what I think patience is about, and the effort in patience is about is taking each moment as a teacher. And even though it's a subtle kind of effort, you know, the, the persistence of showing up, of connect, the persistence of connecting with the way it is, it burns like any real effort burns. And in a way, we don't want to continue with that effort. One of, the, one of the most valuable insights when when you're in a situation where you're either you yourself or the container you're in like the group you're with or the teacher you're with, you're being reminded regularly to be to keep showing up, to be aware of this what you're sensitive to of the what's getting triggered and the consequences of what's getting triggered is it really highlights the strongest negative condition of the mind, which is towards delusion. More than aversion and more than greed, the deepest so-called negative conditioning is wanting delusion. You know, it's like, I just don't want to know whether it's skillful or not. You know, I don't want to have to discern. I don't want to have to recognize whether what's happening and how I'm relating to it whether that's setting up problems down the road or right now even or not I just want to be oblivious and a little bit like with our ideas of enlightenment or spiritual freedom you know we just want the fruit you know we just want to be free totally understandable (laughs) from my (laughs) point of view but except it doesn't work I mean, that's the thing. (laughs) That's the only thing. I mean, if it worked, of course. We just would want to go immediately to freedom. The question is, does that work for you or for anybody? Maybe when we're already free, it works. Some of you, I know, have read Eckhart Tolle's well-known book, uh, The Power of Now. Here's something, again, just sort of clarifying the effort and patience. We're talking about waiting. And uh, you know, because we sometimes feel like, well, we just don't resist. But it's, it's more subtle. Patience is really about connecting. So it's a very living thing. It can't be static. So just because we're bearing with something, doesn't mean we're being skillful you know there are a lot of people who bear with bad relationships but that doesn't mean it's skillful or they bear with you know whatever so this is what he says waiting is a state of mind basically it means that you want the future you don't want the present because the the present moment you know when we're waiting we're not really connecting we think We're really lost in the idea that if I just stick with this, something else will happen. And we almost hear that instruction a lot in Buddhist practice, you know, that things change. And it's true. But the attitude isn't like, I'll bear with this because I know it will change. We're really trying, you know, as much as we can possibly remember, it's not just about bearing with the present moment, it's about actually being interested, actually. Being willing to be sensitive to how it is, to be undefended. Basically, like if we're going to learn our lesson from our teacher, which is the present moment, we have to be... I know we don't like this word. We have to really submit to the present moment. We have to relax with it. So if it's boring, we really have to relax with that. If it's unpleasant, we have to relax with that. And if it's pleasant, we have to relax with that. We have to really let the pleasant moments have their impact in the heart, on the mind. So he goes on. With every kind of waiting, you unconsciously create inner conflict between your here and now, where you don't want to be, and the projected future where you want to be. This greatly reduces the quality of your life by making you lose the present. There's nothing wrong with striving to improve your life situation. You can improve your life situation but you cannot improve your life. Life is primary. Life is your deepest inner being. It is already whole, complete, perfect. Your life situation consists of your circumstances and your experiences. There is nothing wrong with setting goals and striving to achieve things. The mistake lies in using it as a substitute for feeling, for the feeling of life, for being. The only point of access for that is the now. You are then like an architect who pays no attention to the foundation of a building, but spends a lot of time working on the superstructure. And so now maybe this is recurs back to Liz's comment after lunch, um, where we're talking again about the importance of comfort. And Robert brought that up in terms of relationships in the morning, early in the day, that you know we need some comfort, we need some safety. In order, basically, to do the work of life, but in particular, the work of spiritual practice. But if, but when is enough enough, right? So it's like, uh, for just a real practical example. So you let's say you buy into the idea that it's good to sit every day for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and then um, you know after a while your body starts to hurt, and 30 minutes isn't up yet, and so. Uh, You could say, well, you know, I'm uncomfortable. I'm losing my equanimity or I'm losing my sense of stability because of this discomfort, this unpleasantness I feel in my body. I should move. I should reestablish a sense of comfort. And then I can work with my mind. Then I'll train my mind. But you could do that every single minute, maybe many, many times a minute for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or over long. And then basically we would never be training the mind. We would just be adjusting the posture, seeking comfort, stability in the posture. And we'd never get that experience of connecting with unpleasant experience and cultivating the appropriate kind of patience with unpleasantness and seeing what comes next from that. So like in terms of seeing our life situations our moments as our teachers, you know, there is a place for finding the right teacher, you know, both in this sort of subtle way of, like, what moment is a good teacher to open to as a teacher, but, you know, even more superficially, like, what center should I practice at, or what book should I read, or something like that. But at some point, we want to just settle down and just work with the moment that's arising because it's good enough. You know, the sensations of the body or the thoughts in the mind or the way it is right now, this is a good enough moment to use to train the mind. And again, what are we doing? We're training the mind to fully, completely connect. Because patience, I uh, kind of mapped out of my own mind, you know, sort of the process of the mind, which is also the process then of our practice, because we're practicing with the mind, you know, the first thing the mind does, whether it does it feebly or not, it clarifies what's going on. You know, so in any moment, moment by moment, the mind is just always clarifying what's going on. And it's just a question of how that process of clarification is being informed by habit energy and how much of that clarifying how it is is more direct and immediate. right? So the mind clarifies how it is. And then when, just as the mind is clarifying, oh, this is what's happening. This is how it is. This is what's being felt. Right then, whatever wisdom is present, and again, it might be quite feeble or it might be very strong, wisdom naturally will do its work to whatever degree it's present by recognizing that this is how it is, and then the mind uh, The mind is going to want to respond to that, right? It's going to want to have an opinion. That's The conditioning is going to come online. And wisdom is sort of discerning, well, that's not so skillful. You know, honey, don't do that. Oh, maybe that's okay. You can relate to it this way, or you can understand it this way, or you can respond to it this way. So wisdom is just doing its work. And then out of that, you know, comes an intention. Okay, I'm going to aim this way. I'm going to aim at relating to it this way, because this seems wholesome. Or if I'm not so wise, it doesn't matter how we relate to it. And Whatever the strongest intention is, we just act out. And then we notice the consequences, whether we're somewhat unconscious in receiving the consequences of all of that, or we're very aware. Oh, you know, I thought it was okay to resist, but now I realize things are even more entangled in the mind. And then we notice that consequence. So each one of those places we practice being patient. There's a practice of training and being patient. Like, And it's just through this process of connecting. So starting over by clarifying, you know. And really discovering that, that the mind is doing, you know, it's sort of interesting how it's all about getting out of the way. You know, letting the mind clarify, oh, this is how it is. And so patience is like whatever clarity we have that that's all the clarity we have so patience is it's not like we you know it wouldn't be better to have more clarity but the mind is only as clear as it is in each moment and the the wisdom that's going to discern like what way to relate to this particular moment of sensitivity that's going to only be as sharp clear as it is and our ability to aim the mind in a skillful direction as opposed to an unskillful direction, it's only going to be as good as it is. And recognizing the consequence of what we just did is only going to be as good as it is. But if we're going to learn from this moment, we have to be patient all the way through. Because the learning isn't about controlling the process. The learning is about understanding it. And this is the hard thing to understand I think I forget what reading it was earlier in the day, but you know, just this idea that the nature of the mind or the nature of things, it corrects itself. We think, you know, getting on a spiritual path or just being interested in self improvement, we think that somehow I gotta clean up this mess. But awareness, that sort of patient awareness connecting deeply with how it is. it's what clarifies and cleans up, lightens up everything. So really a lot of trust and not immediately sort of jumping in you know with sort of that sort of more forceful kind of work. And this I think, this particular quote that I've, I use a lot of my teaching from the Buddha, I think really is a beautiful image. This is one of those pieces of information. This, and the nice thing about the Buddha often taught in stories and similes, as do a lot of good teachers, and the reason is that uh, it's easy, you know, the story is kind of has its own, it has a wholeness to it. Like if you remember any bit of it, you get the whole story. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.